can go there in the Word of God. Now, I want to preach, um, well, well, what will be at least two messages, maybe, uh, maybe a third, uh, we'll dip, see how we go. But uh, there was a scripture that has been pressed upon my heart here in Hebrews chapter 6 that I want to consider with you because, and the, the, the overarching theme, even though we're going to look at different aspects, the overarching theme that we want to consider are the words that we find in this particular text which is uh, called uh, the the words or the phrase strong consolation, strong consolation. Now those words are very symbolic to the Christian, strong consolation because that's exactly what God wants us to have in our hearts, an assurance a confidence, strong consolation. And there are a number of references in the text that we're going to read that give us indications, or in other words, and more so, they, as we'll see, they give us a deep understanding in order to have strong consolation from the Scriptures and from God himself, as we'll see in, in uh, this particular book. Now, we understand that um, uh, the Old Testament foreshadows much of Christ. And that's why we can, when we read the New Testament, we can make so many references to the old and we can, when we can identify Christ and when we see Christ, this is what makes the Old Testament so beautiful and wonderful because they, we see those pictures and those foreshadowings. And not only that, the Scripture in the New Testament make references to the Old Testament. So for us, as we consider these things, it's good for us to understand and have an understanding, especially if we're going to have the strong consolation that God wants us to have. In the book of Hebrews, the use of typology is prolific. It's right throughout the book of Hebrews. And obviously, for obvious reasons, uh, Paul's writing here to Hebrews, and so by using various Hebrew um, uh, Old Testament concepts, he's anticipating that that being familiar with the Old Covenant and the Scriptures, that they would uh, uh, have an understanding of Christ or a further comprehension and revelation of the reality of Christ that these things foreshadowed and told and were types of. And so, but in, in understanding that it was written to he, uh, Hebrews, obviously written to uh, Hebrew Christians, you know, the Bible's written to us. And so as much as it means something to them, it is to mean something to us as well. So as we consider the scriptures and as we consider these types, we can draw upon the reality of Jesus Christ and be blessed. So if we are to have strong consolation, then it's imperative that we do understand what the Spirit of God is saying so that we can make the application that is required and it is necessary. Because the Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal something to us through these scripts, uh, scriptures and through this text. So let's read it and then um, we'll go a little bit further. But in Hebrews chapter 6, I want to read from verse 17 to verse 20. The Bible says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge 
to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Praise the Lord. There's so much in this text and I just want to focus on just one aspect of it this morning and I want to draw us back into the Old Testament to to understand what Paul's referring to because uh, the, the emphasis here is that we will have strong consolation and to have that word strong means, it comes from the word, it means forcible, strength. And that consolation is the word comfort, where we have the Greek word parakleos, where we talk about the comforter. So the Holy Spirit wants to give us a strong consolation, strong comfort. Jesus said, I'll send you another, the comforter. And so we are to draw, the Holy Spirit wants to communicate these truths and these reality of Christ in order to give us something that is strong within the heart. That is, uh, and this is what faith is. Faith is the confidence. And so this assurance that we talk about as Christians. And so the Spirit of God is wanting to highlight these things to us this morning. And so let's consider it as we found it here in the Scriptures. Now look at verse 17. Who are the heirs of the promise? Pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise. The heirs of the promise are you and me. Praise the Lord. We are in Christ. We are born again of the Spirit of God. And in having become the children of God, the bride of Christ, we are heirs to the promise. And the Spirit of God is telling us here in verse 17 that God determined to show more abundantly. In other words, God's wanting to communicate to us so that we will have full assurance that we will have no reason to doubt, that we will have no double-mindedness concerning the issues at hand, that we will be so assured of these things that we will boldly and triumphantly declare what God is wanting us to reveal as heirs of the promise. Amen. That is us, that is you and I. And it says in verse 17, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly, to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his, can, of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. The immutability means the unchangeableness of God. God is unchanging, hallelujah. See, we, are, we can have strong consolation on the basis that God does not change. And if what God promises, what God says, it stands and you can bet the house on it. Hallelujah. And, you can, and so God uh, is unchangeable and his counsel, his determined purpose, which is in Christ Jesus, he confirmed it by an oath. And so here it is. We find these things. There are two immutable things in which God has confirmed the covenant and this is relates to one, to Christ and the, the word itself and his oath. And when God gives an oath, amen, it stands. You can be assured. 
He confirmed it with an oath. The scripture says uh, uh, that earlier uh, in verse 16, for, mean, for men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them the end of all dispute. But you see, God has confirmed by, uh, by an oath his own word and look at verse 18, that by two immutable things which we just established, the word and the oath uh, are set in stone in which it is impossible for God to lie. Impossible for God to lie. And so again, this forms the basis of our strong consolation. This is uh, what Paul's writing about to give us the strength of hope and confidence in God. It's impossible for God to lie. Men are liars. All men are liars. <laughs> I can say amen. But God's not a liar. And when God speaks, you can be assured that when the Lord speaks, he has spoken and it is impossible for God to lie. And it's based on this premise in verse 18 that we would have strong consolation. Thank God that our hope is not based upon the shifting sands of this world or this government or the nonsense that goes on around us, amen, but we are building on God. He has spoken in his word. He has confirmed it with an oath. It is impossible for God to lie. And so I can shout amen for all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God. Hey, brother, I like that. <laughs> so, it's on that basis that we find two particular words in verse 18, or phrases, I should say, and it says that we might have strong consolation. Now, look, we who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Now, just, now you can read that and not think too much about it. You can read that and what it is, it's, not, it's actually not a figure of speech. The writer of Hebrews is deliberately and by the Spirit of God being inspired by God, he is choosing particular words that carry very much meaning and are rooted in the Old Testament this word, fled for refuge and lay hold. Those two words, I, as, I began, uh, to, as my, uh, the Lord began to speak to me in relation to it, I thought I can't address them together, I have to separate it because they both uh, form the basis of this strong consolation and how it relates to us. But these are not figures of speech. They are being deliberately uh, mentioned in this context so that the Hebrews would understand what it means to, be, to, flee, to have fled for refuge and also to lay hold of the hope and what that means because it has Old Testament Significance, And this is what I want to do uh, with us uh, this morning and over the, ne over the next week and possibly into the week ahead. Fled for, re for refuge. See, for we have fled for refuge. Hallelujah. The Bible says that we have fled from the wrath to come. And so when we talk about 
this phrase, having fled for refuge, what is it that the Bible is alluding to? What is it that the Bible is talking about? Well, it has to do with what the scriptures refer to as the cities of refuge. In the Old Testament, you may have read it, if you've read your Bible, you'll begin to realise that you'll read and you've just read through those books of Exodus and, and, uh, uh, and the Torah there and you've seen, you've, you'll, be from, you'll remember the cities of refuge. But you see, the cities of refuge are very much uh, foreshadows of Christ himself. And when you begin to draw upon these, when the writer says he had fled for refuge to the Hebrew mind, they knew exactly what he was referring to. They reflected upon the cities of refuge and then they could understand what it was that was associated with it and then they could take that and it was a picture of Christ himself and whom now we have fled not to uh, some city but rather to Christ in whom we have fled for refuge and Christ is our refuge. Praise the Lord. So, I want to look at this a little bit further and I want to show it to you in the scriptures. So let's turn to um, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 13. I want to identify this because what were the cities of refuge and why did they exist in uh, ancient Israel? God had set them up for a purpose, so we have to identify that purpose in order to make the application and to understand how it relates to Christ. So, in Exodus, and so with the first mention of it is in Exodus chapter 21 and it's just brief but it's in verse 13 where God is speaking to Moses and he says, however, it's talking about uh, for someone who strikes a man and kills him. Now there, is the, there were various laws in the scripture and so if someone killed somebody and it was intentional and it was presumptuous then the, the law was clear, they would be put to death. But then there was those that had killed someone unintentionally. What? category do they fall into? And so here you have verse 13. It says, however, God is speaking about this, however, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. So in other words, they were talking about this in, introducing a thought for the person who has killed them. In, in un, uh, and, and it relates also to an un, in unintentional way. And so it's a place where they could flee for safety. God is saying through Moses, I'm going to appoint a place where in the event of such, someone can flee to this particular city and to this particular, or this particular refuge and they can find safety for themselves. So let's build on this further. Go to Numbers chapter 35. And again you'll see this now becoming further and deeply outlined in the scriptures and especially from verse number 9 in Numbers, Numbers 35. So it's talking about the cities of refuge from verse 9. Now, let me re let's read it together and you can follow with me and then we'll make some sense of it as it explains itself for us. In verse 9, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. 
They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. Um, uh, six cities, uh, where are we? Six cities of refuge, verse 14. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan and three cities on the... Uh, you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be re- uh, for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, for the sojourner among them, and anyone who kills a person un- uh, accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes a man with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die then and he does die, he is a murderer. And the murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. So this is a legitimate, this is the avenger here killing the individual who was killed. And so this is in, in the legitimate sense here, uh, as an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth type thing under the law. So verse 20, If he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies, or in enmity he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, then the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall, be put, shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. However, if he pushes him, suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait or uses a stone by which a man could die throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies while he's not his enemy or seeking his harm then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments so the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. And we'll go to verse 29. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of the ref- of refuge where he fled and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall be not be guilty of blood because he should have remained in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest but after the death of the high priest the manslayer may return to the land of his possession and these things shall be a statute of judgment for you throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And so what we have here is... A given, God is giving the detail to Moses of how, what the city of refuges are and whether to be set up and what they are for. Now, if someone was to kill someone intentionally and the avenger, who was usually of blood, would probably be a relative of some sort of close uh, to the family uh, and was to catch that person and in justice uh, was to uh, kill that individual, they would be without, without guilt. But they would have to flee and go to the city of refuge. Or if somebody unintentionally killed somebody, then the first thing they would have to do, because they know if you've killed someone, you know that someone's going to come after you to kill you, right? <laughs> it doesn't even, even if you didn't mean it, there's going to be revenge. 
And so the avenger of blood would be after that person so they would flee. They would run, literally, to the city of refuge and once they got into the city of refuge, they were safe. And then they obviously had to go before the judgment to determine uh, that they were not intending to kill and if that was okay, then they could remain in the city of refuge. They would live there and the Bible says until the death of the high priest or his own death, you know, could, you know, if the high priest was just appointed and it was going to be a long time, that they'd be staying there a long time. But there was an understanding that, that uh, that's in some way, shape or form, that when the high priest died, it kind of uh, brought about some liberty to the person in the city of refuge and so therefore they could leave the city of refuge and they would uh, not be vulnerable to being killed. But if they left the city of refuge while the high priest had not yet died and they were the avenger of blood caught up with them, then the avenger of blood could kill them and they would, their life would, blood would be on their own hands. But once the high priest died, they could leave the city of refuge and if anyone was to touch them, they would suffer the consequences of the law. But they were free. And so you can see just out of this, having fled for refuge... When, when, when Paul writes this in Hebrews, this is what he's alluding to. This is the whole imagery of what he's drawing upon and foreshadowing and he's pointing it to Christ. But you see, what does all this mean? You see, we know that the book of Hebrews talks about one high priest, doesn't it? The great high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek and that is Jesus Christ himself, praise the Lord. And so we, we understand that the death of the high priest in this instance typifies the death of Christ. And so we see uh, all of these things there, there in that sense that, uh, being symbolic but also how then does the issue of the, um, the manslayer, the one who has shed innocent blood, how does that apply to us? And so it applies in this sense you see, the truth of the, the, and the reality is, is that we are all guilty of unintentionally killing Christ. Is it not our sin that nailed him there? Is it not our sin and our disobedience and our rebellion against God and in all, all of those things we were the one that demanded his death? And it was for our sin that Jesus was hung upon that cross and we are, in a sense, guilty of the death of Christ. As we sang that song after the communion, it was my sin that held him there. And so we are guilty. We are the manslayer. And so we're the guilty party. And so we are now, uh, uh, in, in light of that, what are we to do? Well, the scripture tells us that we are to flee from the wrath to come. Run! That's the message of the gospel, is to run to Christ. Flee from the wrath to come. And so, in the same way that when the men slayer killed unintentionally, they were to flee, they fled to the city of refuge, so we exhort all men, amen, to flee unto Christ because it's in Christ, he is our refuge. And so we having uh, been guilty of uh, killing Christ, uh, how, who is the avenger of blood? 
The avenger of blood is the law of God. You see, the law condemns us. It makes us guilty. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world would become guilty before God. And the law chases us. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And as one man said, the law chases us to the cross but no further. Because once you get to the cross, you're in the city of refuge, praise the Lord. And the avenger of blood cannot touch you. And see how all this is a, having fled for refuge in light of the city of refuge is a whole picture of Christ and the sinner. And that is us this morning. We have fled and we are in Christ Jesus. We have fled from the wrath that is to come that we would be found in him, in Christ. Not my righteousness but his righteousness. Praise the Lord. And the high priest in Jesus Christ was the one that gave his life as a sacrifice, laid it down and he purchased our salvation and Romans 8 verse 1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. We are in the city of refuge. And we are safe. And God says once you're there, you are safe. You see, the unchangeable promise. It's impossible for God to lie. When you're in Christ, there is now no condemnation. The law has no claim on us. Hallelujah. Because we have been justified by faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in that that we rejoice for such, as Hebrews would call it, so great our salvation. Praise the Lord. Freedom. Freedom. The death of the high priest purchased my freedom. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Glorious freedom. I am free from the law of sin and death. This is what all this is talking about. And, and now in Christ we are safe and we are secure. We are saved. You don't have to fear the law. You don't have to fear condemnation. You don't have to pass. You've passed from judgment into life. You've passed from death into life. And so you, the Christian, has strong consolation based on this that we don't have to live under the guilt of our past sins. We don't have to live under the condemnation of, the, uh, of, of our past sins because now we are in Christ Jesus. We are in the city of refuge. We are safe. Praise the Lord. Thank God for that. In Psalm 18, Psalm 18, verse 2, The Lord is my rock, and my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My shield, and the horn of my salvation. That's significant. We're going to look at that next week, or next time I, I minister. My stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Praise the Lord. He's our refuge. Christ Jesus. Now, in establishing that, 
I want to consider with you, the, because God uh, spoke to Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to set up six cities, six cities of refuge throughout the land of Israel. Now, this is symbolic because when you look at the places in which the cities of refuge were placed and the, the name of those cities, they teach us something about Christ. You begin to see again, you, there's much more that's foreshadowing who Christ is. Okay, we have established that he is the city of refuge, but what else does it have any more significance? Yes, it does, because by looking at where God put them and the name of the places that he put them, you begin to get gospel truths straight out of that and we can take even further strong consolation from this. So let's do that and let's turn to Joshua chapter 20. Book of Joshua chapter 20. See, there were six cities. There were three on the east and three on the west side of the Jordan. And so Joshua is being instructed as Moses was instructed. Now, Joshua obviously led them into the promised land and so now they're setting these things up. You can see it there. Joshua chapter 20. Now, verse 7 to verse 9. It will specifically just read those two a few scriptures. It says, So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Nephtali. So, so you had Kadesh, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kirud Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they uh, assigned Beza in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of uh, uh, Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. Six cities of refuge. They were named. Let's go through them individually and I want you to see Christ. Don't see cities. I want to see Christ. Because each of those cities symbolize and teach us something about Christ. And when Hebrews says that we have fled for refuge, here it is. Let's get a revelation from, this, the, the, from the Bible itself. So the first one was Kadesh. In Hebrew, the word Kadesh, they speak of Christ and they speak something to us. Kadesh means holy, holy. And there is one who is holy, Hallelujah. And that is Christ himself, the Holy One of Israel. And so we have Jesus himself being holy without sin. The holiness of God is on display in Christ Jesus. God became a man and we beheld his glory. And what we're seeing is the holiness of God, separate from sinners. But you see, to the Christian, how does holiness relate to us because the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love without blame no condemnation and holy. And so here we have the first city of refuge. It's identified as Kadesh and it, is, um, it means holy and we in Christ are holy. Praise the Lord. 
we have been imputed with the righteousness of God. We are found in him holy and without blame because of this, the love of God, amen, that's been bestowed upon us in Christ Jesus. So there's the first truth and reality is Kadesh is holy. The second city of refuge was in the city of Shechem. Now Shechem means shoulder in Hebrew. Now think about this because again we just sang it. Jesus bore our sins. Now in the song we sang earlier it says... Um, uh, for the communion, it says, on, on, uh, on, uh, on, he bore my sin on, on, his, on my shoulder, on his shoulder. You see, because that's exactly what he did. And uh, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We sing another song, um, and the, the, the verse goes, It was our sin and guilt that bruised and wounded him. It was our sin that bore him down. When we like sheep had gone astray, our shepherd came and on his shoulders bore our shame. Our God reigns. And so here you have it. Christ, Shechem, shoulder, Christ bore our sin, amen, upon himself. And there's the one aspect. And in Luke chapter 15, you have Jesus giving us a parable about the lost sheep and about the 99 and and there's one that's lost and the shepherd goes out to find that one lost sheep. What does he do with it? Puts it on his shoulder. And it's a picture of Christ carrying us. Hallelujah. And so when we fled to the city of refuge, when we're in Shechem, amen, now we have the holiness of God and we have Christ bearing our sin and he carries us. Praise the Lord. Thank God that he has accomplished salvation. Amen. Then there's another one, uh, Hebron. The third city of refuge is Hebron. Hebron in Hebrew means fellowship or friendship. Now think about it. Amen. Jesus says, I call, I, I call you friends. Thank God that we have fellowship with the Father. Thank God that we could never... What a privilege it is to have a relationship with God. What a privilege. John seventeen three. this is eternal life, that they would know you. And we are in Christ, we have a relationship with God and we have the privilege of prayer and we can read the Bible and we can commune with God. John says in 1 John, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we have sweet fellowship with God. We are friends, amen, of God. And this is one of the benefits of being in Christ Jesus to have such sweet fellowship that we are no longer enemies but we are sons and daughters of God. You know, because before, before we fled to the city of refuge, we were enemies. The avenger of blood's after us. The, the, the avenger of blood, we were to die in our sins. We die as enemies of God and we are under judgment, condemnation, eternal damnation. But now, in this, having fled into the city of refuge, now in Christ, we are in sweet fellowship. We're no longer enemies of God, but we are sons and daughters of the Most High. 
what a privileged place to be. We have fled for refuge. We're in Hebron. Fellowship with Jesus. So let's look at this, the fourth one. Is Beza. Beza means stronghold or rock. And I tell you, if we were to have strong consolation, here it is at Beza, because Jesus is the rock. Hallelujah. You can be sure, you can be certain that if you are in Christ, amen, that Christ is our stronghold, that Christ is the rock and uh, the scripture says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into and they are safe and we have fled to Christ, we are on the rock. The scripture says uh, uh, we are hidden in the cleft of the rock. We are in Christ and the enemy cannot touch us, hallelujah. Amen. We are safe and we are secure. doesn't matter what this world will throw at us. It doesn't matter what it will do to destroy our physical lives. Amen. We are safe and secure and nothing will take us out of his hands. We are on the rock and that rock is Christ, the scripture says. And so we are in Beza, in the city of refuge. Who is a rock except our God? Let's look at the next one, Ramoth. The word Ramoth in Hebrew means exaltation. Now, who has been exalted? Christ has been exalted. You see, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that he humbled himself to the point of death. And so Christ, in taking the form of a bondservant as a slave, he humbled himself to the point of death. He was meek and he was lowly in spirit, he was humble in heart. But the Bible says, as, a, as having accomplished his purpose, therefore God has highly exalted him. He is highly exalted, and he is sitting on high. And the Bible says, unto him every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, because the, the world can trample him now and they can continue to trample him now, but every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can you say amen? amen. To the glory of God, because he is the exalted one. And so we are in him. And what are, where are we? We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're exalted. Can you say amen? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 to 6 we have been seated in heavenly places in Christ we have been exalted hallelujah we have been exalted in Christ as a position and being in him and so we too in Christ are exalted praise the Lord now can you see just from these things this by looking at the cities of refuge and we're just touching in basically really on them and you see here that when the Bible says having fled for refuge, we're talking about Christ and we're, we're seeing all this foreshadowed before it even came to pass and it was ultimately fulfilled. Now the last one, the last city of refuge was, this, was, was in the city of Golan. Now Golan means in Hebrew joy, joy. Think about it. Christ, Hebrews chapter 12 who for the joy set before him endured 
the cross. You see, who, what was the joy, amen? The joy was the purchase of that, the church, amen, that he was going to redeem a people for himself, that he was going to endure the cross and the sufferings and the humiliation and he did it with, even though he suffered and shed great drops of, uh, of blood and tears, as the scripture says, and he agonised in his soul in the physical sense, spiritually for the joy that was set before him. And not only that, the scripture tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah. And so we have the joy of God and this is what is captured in the city, the city of refuge at Golan and what did Jesus say? That our joy would be full. That we would rejoice in God. That we would have the joy of the Holy Spirit. That we now, in Christ Jesus, we are filled with the joy of the Lord. What more can we say if God is for us? Who can be against us? You can get excited about that. You know, you can't speak these scriptures and just not be emotional. I don't want to be over-emotional, but gosh, God gave us emotions. You can't read these truths and not get excited. I'm very happy. <laughs> Show your happiness. Be excited. Because if his joy is my strength and his joy is my joy and my joy, my joy would be full and Peter says that we would be filled with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And so in Christ Jesus we have inherited all of these things and all of this is Christ himself. We have fled for refuge. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. And now just when we, what we have looked at puts those particular words into more perspective. This is exactly what the writer was talking about when he used the phrase, fled for refuge. He wasn't just saying that as just to try and express something. He was actually drawing upon Old Testament typology and that which foreshadowed and was to show them and teach them about the reality and that reality was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So that we can, now this is one of the basis, this is one of the examples, the city of refuge is one example that we can have strong consolation. There's more and we want to look at this next, next time in greater detail. Because this word, not only it says, have fled for refuge, to lay hold. You know, just, that, just in those words alone, there's something deep and meaningful. But you see, we are found in him. We are complete in him. And we are to be strengthened in the inner man. Strong consolation is what the scripture words, he are forcible and, com and consolation comfort. Be strong in these truths and in these realities. So we'll look at some of these things next week. But I just want to conclude this morning. And I can't preach a message like this and not ask the question. Have you fled from the wrath to come? Because this is the gospel message that we preach. Jesus 
is that refuge. Jesus is the city of refuge and we exhort men to flee from the wrath to come. As our sister shared testimony today and we looked at this just the other week about the perversion and the immorality and the world in which we live in and its evil and its wickedness and the judgment of God, the wrath of God is brewing and the time is coming. And what is our message? Our message is to run for your life. Flee to the city of refuge. Flee to Christ. Don't wait. Some people say, oh, well, I'll, you know, uh, not just yet. There's no sense of urgency. Well, now today is the day of salvation. Don't say, well, I'll wait for a convenient time or, you know, some other point. You don't know when your day is up. And you may not have the chance because if the avenger of blood catches up with you and you are not in the city of refuge and you're not in Christ, then you will stand before God condemned. You will stand before God guilty and without hope and without salvation. And so our exhortation this morning is to flee to Christ. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Have you fled for refuge? Praise the Lord. If not, what are you waiting for? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the word of God that has come to us this morning. I thank you, God, that for the refuge that we have in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for all the provisions that you have made and that when we consider the city of refuge, we see Christ, we see all that Christ is and by seeing, Lord, where you put those cities, we identify various characteristics of Christ and all of this is ours. It is ours that we could have strong consolation, that we could draw such comfort and strength from these things because it is impossible for you to lie. You have confirmed it with your word and with an oath. And God, we can have absolute assurance in that which has been done for us in Christ Jesus. So we thank you, Lord. We bless your holy name. We love you, O God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen.